If you brought your Bibles with you today, open once more with me to 1 Peter. We've actually made it into chapter 2 of 1 Peter. It's on page 1014 of those blue Bibles if you'd like to follow along there. And of course, the passage is also printed in your bulletin. So it was two weeks ago uh, when we were last in 1 Peter and we finished up uh, chapter 1 and it was Monday morning after that and Lauren and I were sitting outside enjoying a cup of coffee together and I was just meditating and thinking about uh, 1 Peter and I said to Lauren, I said, you know what, I just don't know what else Peter could have said. If you were trying to encourage exiles, I literally can't think of anything else that you would want to say more than what he said in this first chapter. He took all of those things that that I kind of prayed through uh, just a few moments ago, all of the hope and all of the inheritance and all of the salvation, and he said, these are yours in Christ Jesus, and they will be yours in fullness in the age to come. And then at the end of the chapter, as we saw, he took all of that and he laid it on the foundation of the imperishable word of God. And we rejoice in all that he said. And I just thought, what what else can he say? And that's frankly why I wanted us to sing uh, how firm a foundation, because, you know, that's the perfect words for this. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say? Then to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. I really do kind of read that, and I go, what more can be said? But as it turns out, that's just chapter 1. There's four more chapters to go of 1 Peter, and so obviously more can be said than what was said here. There's more specific things that we can talk about in terms of vices, in terms of how do you live in the world, how do you live as the body of Christ, and what Christ has done for all of those things, and we'll get into those, uh, but we, uh, we had a really good start that we had in in the first chapter. Okay, today our focus is going to be then on verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, but because they actually are connected despite the fact that there's a chapter division there to what I preached on last week, I will read. Uh, I'll start the reading at verse 22 and then just continue up uh, through verse 3 of chapter 2. As I read this for us, remember that this is the truth. It is the imperishable, living, abiding Word of God. It is the Word of God that remains forever. It is the good news that was preached to you. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Great God in heaven, this word is living 
and it is abiding. It remains. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, you authored it, you preserved it, you quickened us, we pray that you do it again as we hear the word together today, that we would receive it as what it really is, the word of God given to us, your people. Guide us and shape us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord? Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord? That's where verse 3 takes us, right? If indeed, Peter writes, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that? The goodness of God, the fact that the Lord is good. How is your sense of taste? How developed is your palate for the spiritual things of God? They say that one of the symptoms of COVID, haven't had it as far as I know, uh, but one of the symptoms of COVID is that you might lose your sense of taste. And whether it's COVID, I guess all of us at some point along the way have had a bad cold or a flu, which caused us to lose our sense of taste. And it's not any fun when you lose your sense of taste, when you lose the ability and the joy of being able to distinguish what, what is really good from what is really awful. And Peter here, both in this verse, in verse 3, and then up in verse 2 is, as well, is making use of a very basic principle. All of us get it uh, instinctively. It doesn't really need to be explained. And it's this. When you eat something delicious, when you eat something that is really good, you want more of that good thing. Now, we all know that eating well and eating healthy is good, and it's good to eat what is good. But there's a tension that is in the Scripture that we kind of looked at this past summer as well. And, we, and that is to say, we know something else besides the fact that eating what is good is a good thing. And, and what else we know is that sometimes we crave what we ought not crave. We, we crave what is actually what we know to be unhealthy for us. We have cravings that are part of our lives. Maybe they're from old patterns that exist in our lives. In, uh, in the letter of 2 Peter, uh, we'll get to that at some point, but in the letter of 2 Peter, he warns the people not to be like dogs who return to their own vomit. And, and one, that's, a pro, that's from the book of Proverbs, and Peter is saying it to the, the church, don't be like that. Don't, don't crave something that is actually terrible, that actually tastes terrible, but the reality is Dogs go back to their vomit, and we too can crave things we ought not crave. And we wonder, why is this the case? In the book of Proverbs, I preached a, a sermon two weeks ago on the Sunday evening. The woman folly promises this. She promises with respect to food that stolen water is sweet 
and that bread eaten in secret is a pleasant thing. She offers us food, but it's a food that is destructive. And so what I want to say here is that our own experience in the Bible agree that our cravings can go awry. And when you are an exile, or when you are in the wilderness, and remember, Peter is writing this to people who are exiles, and to us, to all of us who are, in fact, exiles in this world, when you are in exile, you are tempted to crave. You are tempted to long for old comforts, old satisfactions, old patterns, old habits, things that you used to eat, things that you used to find delicious. Now, if you were here this summer, you recognize that I'm kind of preaching through what I preached on this summer as well. I, I preached from, for example, Numbers chapter 11, where it talks about the people of Israel in the wilderness ending up craving and ending up at the end of chapter 11 being buried in the place that are called the graves of craving. Our cravings can go very wrong. But Peter, and this is going to come back now to this text in particular, Peter isn't going to throw out the baby with the bathwater with respect to taste or with respect to cravings, with respect to longings that exist inside of us. Instead, what he's going to do as he writes particularly in verses 2 and 3 is to seek their redemption. Peter in verse 3 is quoting from Psalm 34. Psalm 34 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, that's a familiar verse to us. We've heard it perhaps many times. Uh, you've probably heard it many times when I've served the Lord's Supper for us and said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we'll come back to that principle, the taste and see that the Lord is good in Psalm 34 in just a moment. But what I want us to see is that in verse 2 of this passage, we actually find what is the primary instruction, the primary directive, the primary imperative that governs this little section of Scripture that we've read from verses 1 to 3. It's a little bit harder to see this in English, but it is here that we find the imperative in verse 2, long for. Long for. That's the central command that exists in this section. Long for. To yearn for something, to crave it, to desire and once again, as you read that verse, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter is taking something here that's very understandable to all of us. This isn't complex to understand. It's easy to grasp. And the idea is this. Babies yearn. Babies come out of the womb with a yearning, with a longing, with a desire. And that yearning, call it a craving, that craving, that longing for it is actually a gift in and of itself. It's a gift because it causes the child to turn to and to seek out that which is good, right? The, the yearning that exists means you're going to turn and find that which is good. And of course, in the case of an infant, what is good is milk. And that's what Peter is trying to say here, that, that this milk 
is good. And when you have that milk, when you drink that milk, the baby grows, and the baby grows in life, and the baby grows in strength and in maturity as well. Now, parenthetically, we all know that it can be more com complicated than what I just said or the way Peter wrote it. Peter knows that as well. But for a while, we're going to leave that to the side. We're going to leave the, the complications that can go on with that very basic process aside so that we can see what is essential, what is fundamental, the simplicity, the clarity uh, of, of this craving, the craving that promotes a life that is a flourishing life. That's what Peter is instructing us to have. He is instructing us to a good desire. He's saying, desire life. Desire what is truly good. We have been born again by the imperishable seed, and now Peter is saying, having been born again, crave for, long for, pure spiritual milk, so that by taking in this pure spiritual milk, the craving has turned you to that which is good, the pure spiritual milk, and by taking it in, you will grow into that which you have received. You have received salvation, and as you partake of this pure spiritual milk, you will grow into that salvation. You will become what you are. And so Peter says, this is a good thing. There's a phrase that I think applies here that exists in our culture. I, I, as I think about it in, in my own hearing, it's probably mostly applied in the world of sports. But the phrase that I'm thinking of is the phrase, you got to want it, right? You might hear that with respect to a, a, a competition, a game that's going on, uh, and the idea that the coach would say is, you got to want it. You got to want it more than the other guy wants it. And a commentator will say, you know, this team wanted it more than the other team wants it. Peter, I think here, is saying, you have to want what is good. I am commanding you to want and desire what is good because it's going to give you growth into salvation. On the uh, front of your bulletin, you have another example of this in Psalm 84. My soul longs yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. That's the exact same idea that is here. This longing, this yearning, this craving that Peter is saying, saints of the Lord, if you want to grow into which you've been born, then crave, yearn, long for the pure spiritual milk. And again, we can see this principle articulated for us. If you've got your Bibles open, turn one page. In my Bible, it's one page to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, Peter is quoting again, and it reads this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Do you desire to love life and to see good days? And then Peter's going to say, then this is what you should do. That's what follows after that. Peter here is quoting from Psalm 34 once again. In our passage, it's a quote from Psalm 34, and in this passage as well, it's a quote from Psalm 34, and it's saying, do you desire it? Do you want 
what is good, and he's commanding it. Now, the object of longing in our passage in chapter 2 that we're looking at right now is, of course, this pure spiritual milk. And let's just dig into that for a moment. What, is, what are we trying to go after? What are we yearning for in this pure spiritual milk? Some of you are aware that this kind of analogy is used in other places of Scripture as well. For example, in 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, it speaks of milk given to believers as well, but it speaks of milk as preparatory for solid food, right? So milk first, then the solid food. And the idea that's being communicated in those passages is that you want to progress. You want to progress from milk to solid food. That's not the idea that is here. I only say that because that's probably very natural for us to think that way. The idea here isn't somehow that these believers to whom Peter is writing are particularly spiritual immature, that they should have been ready for something else, but they're only still drinking milk. The idea here is that this is good. This is the good stuff that I'm talking about right now, this pure spiritual milk, and it's good for all of God's people, and it's good for us all of the time. So, of course, then it's natural for ask, okay, well, what are we talking about when we talk about this spiritual milk that is the means of our growth? Well, I want to, I want to give two answers to that question, and the first answer to that question is going to be the, the foundation. And it won't surprise you what the foundation is because we've already used that and Peter's already used it, leading us and taking us up to this point. It's to say, when you want to talk about the pure spiritual milk that is for the people of God, for our consumption, well, you're talking about what he's just been talking about. He's just been talking about the living and the abiding word of God, the truth that is given to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we are to consume as the people of God. That is the foundation. And how many places could we go to in Scripture to see this? We could go to uh, Deuteronomy, uh, quoted, of course, by our Lord, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You could look at uh, a verse that I put on the front of your bulletins from Jeremiah chapter 15 uh, this morning. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Psalm 119, or for that matter, Psalm 19. Psalm 119 says, how sweet are your words to my taste. A steady diet of the Word of God is essential for Christian growth. There is no other way, no other means to grow as a Christian that is apart from the gifting of the Word of God and the working of the Word of God in our lives. That's the foundation. And we can take something and put it on top of that as well. It's in addition to the Word because Peter here, in the analogies that he's using, the similes, metaphors that he's using here in this section, Peter is not only speaking about the Word as something that is written that you're holding in your hands right now, Peter is also talking about that which is experiential. Those of us who have been born again have not only read the Word of God, We've read the Word of God, but you know what? There are actually non-believers who have read the Word of God as well. James will say, listen, demons understand a lot about probably the Word of God and other things. 
but they don't submit to it. But those of us who have been born again in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit have also experienced it. We have tasted of these things. And so for us, for example, the love of God the Father isn't some truth that's just out there somewhere. It is rather something we've tasted. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ are things we have experienced. The, the quickening and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are things that we've tasted of in our lives. We, we don't just know them in our heads, but we know them in our bones. We have felt these things. We have felt the good news of sins forgiven, and thus the joy that comes with it, the peace that comes with it, the love that begins to overflow as a result of it. We've tasted the goodness of the Lord. He's good. Now, if you'll allow me. So those, those are the two things I think that we're looking at in terms of this pure spiritual milk. The foundation of the Word of God, the Gospel of Christ, and then the experience of that that we've got in our lives. Let me take us back to Psalm 34 and show why Peter has this psalm in particular in his mind as he says to them, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 is introduced in this way. This is the superscription to Psalm 34. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Psalm 34 is written in the context of the rather peculiar passage that I had us read as our Old Testament reading. I hope you were sitting there going, what in the world does this passage have to do with 1 Peter? And I leaned, I leaned over to Lauren right after we read it. I said, I love the fact that it's so bizarre of a connection. <laughs> Nobody will see it right away. It's that incident. It's that unusual, peculiar incident that gives rise to Psalm 34 and allows us to have this I, I, you know, I preached on this back in, when we were in 1 Samuel, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I preached on this passage. How extraordinary is it that the sweetness of Psalm 34 comes out of the experience that David had while he was in Gath? During that time, when David is in Gath, when David is on the run, he is displaced. David was an exile. David was a sojourner. And in the midst of that sojourning, what he experienced, what he tasted, was that even when he was in these situations which were just sometimes of his own making and sometimes complicated by his own foolishness and his own questionable behavior in them, even in those situations, what he saw is the goodness of God. What he saw is that, you know what, despite the fact and here, I'm not going to reference David. I'm going to just reference me. Despite the fact that I'm a knucklehead, God has been good. God has delivered me. David experienced exactly that as an exile. And here, here, what Peter is doing is he's taking the experience of David, and you can look at this either way, and he's laying it on top of the experience of the believers who are scattered around in Turkey right now, or if you want 
put it the other way around, and he's taking their experience in and laying it on top of David's. And he's saying, this is just like you. I, I, I don't know if this, I'll be able to convey this or not. In Psalm 34, by the way, this Psalm 34 was also the call to worship. The next verse is, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Hebrew says fears. The Septuagint, the Septuagint translation, which is very much in Peter's mind as he's writing this, says he delivered me from all of my sojournings. All of my sojournings he delivered me from. If you skip down then to verse 6, David says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. <laughs> what Peter's saying is, you're not the first. You're not the first to feel like outcasts, like exiles in this world. You're not the first to find yourselves living in Gath and without hope and then ending up in a cave outside of Gath and wondering what in the world is going on here. No, 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 no. Those to whom Peter was writing were experiencing, as we saw in chapter 1, various types of trials, and so was David. And without in any way denying the bitter taste that life can have, that life can throw at us, Peter is reminding us that like David, we may have tasted bitter trials, but you have tasted something else as well. You have tasted the goodness of the Lord, and it is delicious. It is delicious, and it is sweet in the midst of whatever it is that you are enduring. It is deeply satisfying. Peter is saying, you have tasted it. It redeemed you now long for it. Don't set it aside. Don't lay it aside and go on something else. Long for that same thing. Crave it. Yearn for it. And it will take you home. It brought you into salvation, and it'll take you home to salvation as well. Now, I think that gives us the heart of what's going on in verses 2 and 3 of our passage. But there is another verse in our passage it's verse 1, and I want to ask the question, how does verse 1 fit into this? Verse 1 says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put those things away. How does that connect into this? In a nutshell, the point here is that you have left your old way of life. Don't crave it. Don't allow those old appetites, those old patterns, those old behaviors in your life to govern you anymore. We are in a section of this letter where Peter is writing not merely to a person as an individual. He's not merely writing to one exile and saying to this one exile, be this kind of a person, long for these things. Instead, he is writing to exiles. He is writing here to the exilic community. And to the exilic community, he just gave in the sermon two weeks ago in the section that I read earlier, he just gave the central command for the exilic community. And the central command for the exilic community is love one another earnestly from pure heart, right? That's, that's, 
two weeks ago's sermon. That's the section that I read for us. Now, he is giving a warning. He reminds us that there are still remnants of the old in us. There are still vices in us. And we have to be honest and recognize that there is a deformed part of us that if, if it's left unchecked, will allow these vices to sneak up and sneak back out and bite and devour the people who are around us. The vices that are listed here are not only uh, individually destructive, they are not only self-destructive, but they are communally destructive. They are relationally destructive. Malice is thinking evil about and towards others. Deceit and hypocrisy destroy trust. Envy resents the good that others have. Jealousy wants what others have. Envy just doesn't want you to have it. And then slander, of course, is seeking to destroy another. Now, one might wonder when you hear a list like that, why, why would we be tempted by that kind of wickedness? Why, why would we even have an appetite for those things when you think, on the other hand, of the fact that you know, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And the answer to that question is, somewhat per complex, but perhaps one way to say it or to conceive of the answer of this is stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is a pleasant thing. In other words, these vices, as wicked as they are, as evil as they are, can give you a cheap thrill and they don't take any work to do them at all. They can give you a quick dopamine hit, and you're familiar with the hit that they give because they've existed in your old man. They were part of your old way of life. Let me give you just one example, and you can apply it then in other ways to these other vices that are here. When you slander another person, you might think, well, that's bad. Why would I ever put down somebody else that's bad? You get a hit of dopamine. You know what the hit of dopamine is? I'm better than that person. The, the hit is you feel good about yourself. Everybody wants to feel good about themselves. And all of these things, when they tear somebody else down, give you the feeling of being good about yourself. Peter says, you don't have to do that anymore. That's the way your old man worked. That's the way your old self used to work. It used to seek its approval, its place in the world, its peace by saying, well, I'm better than this guy. And Peter says, no, 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 we, we don't operate that way anymore. The gospel doesn't operate in that way anymore. It's addictive, though. When you start getting those hits, it's addictive. And in our old lives, in our flesh, we wore it like clothes. We ate it what, like it was a regular part of our diet. And Peter is saying, don't go back to that. Don't go back to it. Peter is aware that the pressure cooker that is an exiled life may bring out the best in us, love one another, or it may bring out the worst in us, devour one another. That's what happened with Israel. That's what happened with them. 
Read the book of Numbers. Read the book of Exodus. That's what Peter's got in mind as he's thinking about all of this. Sometimes exile does really good things for us, and sometimes it does really bad things for us. Long for what is good. Long for what is good. Peter exhorts displaced exiles, saying to them, listen, put off the old clothes, put off the old appetites, the deadly cravings. You're dead to those things. Keep them dead and crave instead what is pure, what is good, what is delicious, because you've tasted of the heavenly banquet. And as it turns out, the heavenly banquet is both delicious and good for you. Peter says, crave that. Crave that. Reject the, reject the quick stuff on the other side. So we close with this question, have you tasted of the goodness of the Lord? Have you tasted of the goodness of the Lord? And if you're here today and go, I don't know, that experiential stuff that he's talking about there, those promises of the Word of God, that's a little bit foreign to me. I don't understand that. Today is the day to taste of the goodness of the Lord. And please understand what, the, what taste means is in fundamentally believe. Believe. And then yearn after the Lord. The Lord can give a new heart. The Lord can give new appetites and a new satisfaction that comes along with them as well. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you're here today, and you have, you have in fact tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then watch out for the old cravings. Okay? Israel's proof is redeemed people can have old cravings. Okay? If, you, if you need any proof, you don't need to look at yourselves. You can look at yourselves. But if you need any proof, Israel is proof that redeemed people can have bad cravings. Put the old cravings away. Long for, desire what is good. Crave the sweetness of Jesus. Wisdom, in contrast to folly, says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Let's pray. Lord, we would do exactly that. We would feast upon you. Forgive us for the many times in our lives when we choose food that is cheap and easy and gives a quick hit to our senses and is not of the gospel. Forgive us for that, Lord, and help us to eat what is good, to delight ourselves in what is good, to desire that which is good. Change us. Mold us. Change our appetites. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.